this is Wyatt from realisticpreparedness.com, and this is the second in a three-part series on first aid kits, emergency medical kits, and basic medical concerns during disasters. The last episode was an overview of first aid kits, and this time we're going to take a look at emergency medical kits. Now, first off, what's the difference between the two? Well, as we mentioned last time, a first aid kit emphasizes the idea that there will be a second level of treatment available if it's needed. First aid is just basic treatment with the idea that there can be a, a second step at some point in the near future that would usually involve a medical professional of some kind. For example, if you twist your ankle while hiking, you can tape it up for now as first aid and limp out of the woods. And if it's still giving you problems after you get home, then you can find the doctor, make an appointment, and have them take a look at it and handle any further treatment that is needed. What sets the emergency medical kit apart is that it is more extensive than the first aid kit, so it can handle a larger number of problems, as well as dealing with some issues more completely. This kit is designed to help you out during emergency situations, thus the name Emergency Medical Kit. It is not a hospital in a box, though, which can completely replace the need for any medical treatment. But if a real doctor is just not realistically available, then it can lessen your need to have to seek professional medical treatment during difficult times. So if you and your family are spending the summer in a remote mountain cabin up in the Klondike, well, then you're really lucky and I envy you. But if you're up at your cabin and someone gets sick, the more you can do to take care of them on site, obviously, the better off they're going to be. The idea is that adequate care now is better than amazing care a week down the road. If you can take care of their immediate needs while their body heals itself, then you can deal with a surprising number of problems. Also, many big problems start out small and are much easier to deal with early on. A small cut is no big deal if it is disinfected and kept clean. But without this basic level of care, that person could end up with sepsis and need serious medical intervention to avoid complications such as death. The main concept with emergency medical kits is that if there's no way to get to a medical professional anytime soon, then what you can do on your own right now is going to make the biggest difference. Do keep in mind that emergency medical kit is not a survival kit. It is not focused on providing food, water, and shelter during some bad event. It isn't that those things aren't important, but rather that those needs are, are not the focus of this kind of kit. Now, one question that would make sense to ask yourself is if you really need this kind of preparation. Unless you've been in an area hit by a natural disaster, our country really hasn't had that many really bad large-scale events happen recently. So, common thought is that if any kind of serious illness pops up, I'll just go see my doctor. And if things are really bad, well, I'll just go to the hospital. The problem with that line of reasoning is that doctors are businessmen and hospitals are run as businesses as well. And as you probably remember, a chest pain that can show up after opening a medical bill I'm probably not telling you something that you don't already know. Going to the doctor, going to the hospital, it's expensive. But what is often not considered is that in the United States, there are less than three doctors per 1,000 people. There are about three hospital beds available in the U.S. for every 1,000 citizens as well. 
So if we had a flu pandemic or a large-scale natural disaster that required the hospitalization of just 1% of the population at any given time, we would have a drastic shortage in our ability to treat people. There's just not enough doctors or enough space in hospitals for everyone to get the treatment that they need if something really bad happens on a large scale. Well, this brings up the concept of triage. What are doctors, nurses, and emergency personnel trained to do in situations where there are more patients than doctors we're going to have a chance to see? Well, they break the injured people into categories. Now, the number of categories can vary based upon the, the system of triage that a particular hospital or emergency group is using, but the concept's the same. First off, there are people who are a little banged up, but they could walk to safety if it was necessary. Any medical help that they need can wait until it is convenient, since their injuries are more of the cuts, sprains, and bruises variety that are not likely to kill them anytime soon. Then, there's the next group of folks that have more severe injuries. They might have a broken leg, be missing a finger, or have picked up a wicked case of road rash. But they're just going to have to wait a while for their turn to get treatment because there are more grievously wounded people who need help first. Well, those people would be the next category, which are the patients that are pretty messed up and having a bad enough of a day that they cannot wait very long to get medical treatment or they're going to end up dead. And of course, there's the last group. And they would be made up out of people who have already died from their injuries or will be dying from those injuries very shortly. Now, what is not always understood about triage is that this last group of very, very severely injured people is not the first group to get help. The people who will be dying from their injuries shortly are grouped in with the people who are already dead in some of these triage systems. They pretty much just get written off for dead and we skip up to the next level of injured people who have a higher likelihood of surviving if they are giving help. During a non-disaster type of event, some of these very critically injured folks could almost certainly have been saved, but under disaster conditions, the resources are not available to help them at the expense of other people with a higher chance of survival. So they might very well die right around the corner from the doctors who skipped over them to deal with other less injured folks. With that in mind, the first group, uh, scrapes and bruises injuries people, would absolutely be treatable with the supplies in a good first aid kit. And this is why it makes sense to have a first aid kit handy when you leave the house. The second group, who are more injured but will probably be waiting a while for help, would likely need more than most first aid kits can supply. This is where the emergency medical kit starts to shine. Even in a situation where medical care is immediately available, if there are enough people needing help to warrant a triage situation, medical care will not be immediately available to everyone. The emergency medical kit gives you the option to consider handling some of these situations on your own instead of going to the hospital and waiting in line. Now, the people in those last two categories might very well be too injured for an emergency medical kit of any variety to save them. If someone's abdomen got crushed and they have severe internal bleeding, broken ribs, a punctured lung, and a lacerated liver, then 
unless a surgeon is immediately available to go in and repair the damage, they're really going to be out of luck. Triage puts these folks either in the rush them to the surgery category or the do what you can to make them comfortable category, depending on how bad the damage appears and how many other people are injured. It would be an unrealistic expectation to think that any emergency medical kit can fix every problem. Even fully stocked ambulances manned by EMTs who have extensive training in the art of patient stabilization and transportation don't save every patient. Now, the big question then is, what should I put in my emergency medical kit? The honest answer is that what you put in your kit depends greatly on your level of skill and training. There is no reason to go out and spend money on supplies that you don't know how to use. If you want to build up an awesome kit that's the envy of army field medics, that's great. But what is going to make that bag of supplies effective is you knowing what to pull out of the bag and when to pull it out. Perfect example of this is sutures. Lots of people have sutures in their medical kits to close up large wounds, but if someone has never sutured anyone before, I honestly don't want to be first in line for them to practice on. If you don't know what you're doing, suturing up a wound can actually make things worse, not better. If you don't have a sterile environment to work in, your sutures can actually increase the chance of infection. Also, accidentally running a suture needle through a vein or a nerve isn't the kind of oops that you can easily undo. You need to have supplies that fit your level of knowledge and training. Most people would be much better off to just leave the sutures out of their kit and pack a few boxes of butterfly bandages to close up large wounds. If you really want to get serious, invest in some sterile strips and tend to cure of benzoin. This will let you close up a nice large cut like a pro with just a little bit of practice. Well, with that in mind, let's take a look at what the realistic goals for an emergency medical kit should be. These categories that we've come up with are based on taking a look at historical large-scale disasters and seeing what killed the most people during those events, and also what is available in the world of modern medicine to someone who is not a doctor. We've come up with seven different categories, each with a pretty clear-cut goal. If you're ready for all seven of these occurrences, then you're off to a really good start with getting your emergency medical kit together. The first one is obviously stopping bleeding, using things like direct pressure, elevation, compression, trying to get the blood to slow down long enough to form a clot and just seal the leak. Next one would be preventing infection. This is really pretty basic stuff if you get to the majority of wounds early enough. It's just a matter of cleaning it, applying something along the lines of antibiotic cream, keeping the area clean, trying to keep out things like dirt, fungi, viruses, parasites, bacteria, the kinds of bad things you could try to get in there. Next category would be flu complications. Big three killers here are diarrhea, dehydration, and upper respiratory infections. Now there are certainly other events like food poisoning which can cause some of these same three issues, but just to keep things simple, we're grouping them all together for the sake of treatment. Diarrhea is really just your body's way of trying to flush out the pipes when something nasty gets into your digestive system. This can work out really well, but the problem is, is that if it goes on for too long, it can lead to dehydration, which is the killer. Dealing with this is basically just working to not run out of water in the body system. As for upper respiratory infections, 
easiest treatment here is just keep mucus flowing to avoid infection. Try to keep it so you know, if you're blowing your nose, if you keep coughing up stuff, if you're clearing that mucus, you're kind of working to push anything that gets in that system out, kind of keep it clean. Burns are pretty straightforward category, unless they're severe or extensive. It's just a matter of controlling pain and keeping the area clean while the patient's body heals up the damage. Severe burns are a major concern, though. Uh, there's a huge risk of infection since the body's outer defensive layer has been breached. Also, managing the pain of extensive burns is going to be something that can go well beyond the over-the-counter medications in an emergency kit. There are special dressings and such for dealing with these issues if you think the risk in your situation is high enough to warrant the expense, and once again, if you know what to do with them. As for fever, easy fix here. Let's have Advil and Tylenol on hand. Fever is one of your body's ways of trying to kill off invaders by raising your temperature outside of the range within which these things can thrive. If a fever gets too high for too long, and that's when you have problems, you can rotate between Advil and Tylenol to help manage this, as well as the old standbys of a lukewarm bath, a wet washcloth on the back of the neck or on the forehead. Uh, the fevers blow 102 degrees in general Fahrenheit. There's no reason to freak out. If the temperature heads north of that, then it's time to consider taking steps. As for sprains and strains, these are really nuisance conditions for the most part, but they cause a limited mobility and can keep you from getting necessary work done during or after an emergency. And keeping a few things on hand like an ACE type of an elastic bandage, athletic tape, it's a big help. Often the best thing to do with these is just rest, keep the weight off the problem for a few days until it feels better, and then take it easy until you're back to 100%. The last category is just kind of a catch-all. It's comfort. This is things like insect repellent, anti-itch cream. They just make life much more livable. Now, when you're picking out specific gear for your kit, once again, make purchases based upon your level of skill and training. If you don't know what an Asherman chest seal is, then you probably won't know how to use one. It makes it really hard to recommend spending money on one of these then. You're much better off taking that money and putting it towards some medical training which would be much more useful. There's no reason for your gear to exceed your skill. When you get any level of medical training, pay special attention to information related to diagnosing a problem and doing patient assessments. For example, learning how to correctly use a stethoscope and a blood pressure cuff would be a huge step up from the basic first aid level of being able to just use a first aid kit band-aids. A good basic version of a stethoscope and a blood pressure cuff, they're not that expensive, but it takes practice to interpret what you're hearing. You're not trying to be a cardiologist, but having the ability to use these tools to better understand what is wrong with a person would put you well ahead of most people. Well, we'll stop here for now, and then next time we'll take a look at some of the specifics for what you can put into both first aid kits and emergency medical kits how to pack them, and how to get a really good deal on some of these supplies. As always, we plan and prepare so we don't have to worry about problems, not so that we can worry about them. As always, you can find out more about this and other related topics at realisticpreparedness.com. So, take care, and we'll talk to you soon.